0: Well, welcome back everyone to the White Tail Theories podcast. This is episode 2 of the Deer Camp Tour podcast and we got John Lieberher. John am I saying your last name correctly?
1: Uh it's Lieber, but yeah, that's uh, that's one Lieber. everyone gets wrong. So
0: Okay, okay. So usually I'm pretty good with last names. Um we're going to have to chalk you up as a loss, but uh, <laughs> John, so you just got done hunting in South Carolina, and we're going to kind of get into that. That's the whole concept of this little mini-series that we're doing here is we want to have basically real-world information throughout the country about whitetail hunting or elk hunting or or whatever it is that's going on that hunters can get if they're potentially going to leave for a trip within a couple days to that location so john why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself your background uh how you got into hunting that that whole deal
1: yeah so um uh, about me i'm 28 years old uh air force veteran you know i've been born and raised in south carolina not necessarily the part that i live in now um but around the area Uh, i started hunting uh, with my dad when i was about nine years old and we do this thing around here i'm not sure and you're part of the country, you guys do it. Um, They run dogs here. So essentially you turn some hounds loose and uh, you drop them off in the block woods and people stand on the backside and we wait for dogs to push the deer to us. And that's kind of how I started hunting. I have since moved away from that um, just because it's not something that I find uh, as interesting or as fun anymore. Uh, I I just fell in love with bow hunting. I picked a bow up uh, when I was about 16 and I haven't touched a rifle since. So I own a few, uh, a few acres here. I've got about a 50 acre homestead that I hunt as well. And you know, other parcels around the state, but uh, I do private and public land, both here in South Carolina, pretty much equally.
0: So for somebody that's never been to South Carolina and wants to go on a, on a white tail hunt down there, what's something that they can expect?
1: Oh, well, I would expect it to be a little more difficult than usual. Um, especially you know in in today's world you know we have cyber scouting um it's a little bit more difficult in somewhere like south carolina we don't have the the edge factors or the compounding features that you might find with a topo um you know saddles are isn't something you're going to looking for on the map so i would just expect uh your cyber scouting to uh not get you as far as it would in other places You know, you're really going to have to get in the thick stuff in the swamp. You know, places you don't want to be the the really thick green briar patches to go out and find these deer. Uh, Cyber scouting will get you in in the general vicinity, but you won't be dropping any pins where you think a stand is is going to go this time because everything changes here. Um, you know, depending on the water level, so it it can be a little more tricky than I've experienced from some other states.
0: So when you are potentially looking to visit South Carolina or you're a hunter that currently resides in South Carolina, you're looking to take it up a notch. Are you relying a lot on your ability to read a sign like in that moment?
1: Absolutely. So, um, like I said, back to the cyber scouting thing, it'll get you in the area, but when you get there, you want to see the sign. So, and it may be as simple as tracks, uh, you know, because the way the water comes and goes, tracks are a big thing here. Uh, and most of the time, what I would look for is tracks going in multiple directions. Um, a lot of times, you know, deer will filter through areas uh, that you would uh, a little more open that you probably wouldn't expect them to be, but you will find some tracks, and that can be misleading. But uh, it's track density here, and because most of it's muddy and swampy, and the water level changes so much, you could tell how fresh a track is, but you know, just looking at the mud. So. and and being able to read that sign in that moment is is where you know, okay, this is a a key spot for these deer to walk and travel. So this is a a potential spot you would need to set up. You know, you can look for other things like scat, but again, and and beds, but because the water level changes so much and you know, you're in these swamps and and, and just the landscape overall changes, where a deer might bed this week is not the same place it's going to bed next week because the water has since come up because of all the rain or because maybe the tides have shifted and deer have to find somewhere else to bed. So a lot of what I look for, especially on public land, is just the tracks in multiple directions.
0: So that's that's interesting because that's something that I've been harping on a lot lately uh, with the podcast is kind of getting back to your woodsmanship. I think a lot of people do rely too much on e-scouting and then overlook their their abilities to be able to read sign in the moment. So you get into a location and you have a whole bunch of deer sign there being able to decipher what's good quality sign, what's fresh sign, and then making a game plan off of that. So with your situation, it sounds like you have to be able to do that or you're not going to be successful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, especially with the cyber scouting, you know, the videos that we have, you know, with crews out there putting hunting videos on youtube and what you see on facebook and these other podcasts floating around um you know you get great information but a a lot of times you know back to the e-scouting thing you'll you'll drop a pin because you think you find a good spot on the map and you'll go out there and look and you'll see one set of tracks and you think that's enough but it's not really enough so you need to be able to identify what uh you know a, a dense population of a deer looks like you know how many tracks there is or everything you need to look for you can't go out there and set up on one rub or one scrape um and and expect to see or kill deer it's just especially in public land like the francis marion here it's too vast there are too many hunters um and there's too many places for the deer to go and you know they get funneled out themselves a lot by water level so if you're not hunting that change in water level then uh there's really no telling where the deer might be
0: yeah so john why don't you kind of go through what like the herd dynamics is down there in south carolina do you got like patches of high deer density or do you have patches of very low deer density buck to doe ratio hunting pressure that whole deal
1: yeah so the hunting pressure we will start there because that's a big one i kind of started off my experience with the uh with the dog hunting so the pressure here is unique, right? Because you have your bow hunters and you have your guys that'll go out in rifle season or muscle litter season and they'll go out there and still hunt. But dog hunting is a big part of the area I'm in specifically here in South Carolina. So that means, you know, you have on any given weekend, you'll have 400, 500 people on a section of woods dropping twice as many dogs loose. So that is a very unique, stressful situation for these deer. Um, you know, when you've got a bunch of dogs running through a block where you're supposed to be sleeping, I imagine anybody would be a little upset. Mm-hmm. So that tends to put deer, um, a, a bit on the touchy side, uh, not really wanting to, to stay in one area all the time because they, it's like the deer will key in, right? You know, a lot of people say when they pattern deer, you know, a deer will pattern you just as easily when you're into the sand, the same, the stand, the same put, track over and over again, or you're climbing the same tree at the same time, every day, uh, the deer will pattern you and they do the same thing with the dog hunting. Um, they'll pattern when these guys are releasing these hounds in these blocks of woods uh, and they'll find other areas to bed. So, and then back to the, the herd density, uh, we do have areas where the deer herd is, is excellent. I mean, it, it's dense, it's overpopulated in certain areas. Um, you have a big change from, rows of planted pines which is the francis marion national forest and then those will transition into hardwood bottoms and swamplands and we have a very vast swampland like the wheat area and, and some of the other spots in south carolina so you get into those areas where it's big woods and the deer population will dwindle a little bit per, uh, we'll just say per square mile just mm-hmm. because you'll have one major feature or, or one major type of ecosystem. So if you have 360 square miles of just swamp, you're not going to see as many deer because it's just swamp. They can only feed there, they can only walk through there and filter through if the water level is too high. Uh, and then other areas where you have planted rows of pines, you'll see a little bit more deer as long as the pine stand is the certain age, if that makes any sense. You know, you get. You get too old and your canopy rises too much. You have stem exclusion, so you don't have other things on the ground growing, uh, really any kind of good vegetation or cover, but in some areas where the pines have been thinned, you'll have excellent bedding, excellent uh, green stuff coming from the bottom for those deer to lay there and eat. So in those areas, you'll have a little bit more of a dense population, Uh, and it's just When you get to the big woods of any kind, that's when, and this is true, I'm sure across any state, that's when it kind of starts to scatter out.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And I want to kind of just rewind here a little bit because I think this might be a hot tip pretty much across the board. And this is where e-scouting might be beneficial for you if you're going to a place like uh, South Carolina. So we have a similar structure with our canopy where, They'll basically grow out a section of woods and they're looking to just basically cut it for lumber, right? So if you're looking on Onyx or Hunt stand or whatever it is, and you can see pockets basically where light is able to get to the ground floor, you're going to have some type of understory developed. And when you have the understory developed, that's when you're going to have food for deer as, as far as browse. That's when you're going to have bedding cover, that whole deal. So... That's kind of, I think, what you're alluding to, John, correct?
1: Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, it's just, and the swamp, you know, it, it's a good place to to harvest a deer. And, and you might see some big bucks, especially depending on where it lays. But like you said, with the e-scouting um, here, it'll get you in the general vicinity, right? So mm-hmm. you drop a pin on a large black, on a large block of pine. Um, then once you, it's time to move in there and you have to start putting boots on the ground, um, then you can kind of section it out and, and determine where you need to spend your most time searching for sign. Um, Cause you'll get so much uh, you you can isolate pretty well from e-scouting, right? So you can say, well, all I see right here is a green carpet, so I don't need to go here because there's nothing getting down to the understory where in right. other sections, if you can see the ground from the top, you can see the, the undergrowth coming in, then uh, you know, you might want to go look in that area
0: right right exactly so what let's start out in the early season okay so for people that are potentially looking to do a trip to south carolina maybe next year they want to do an early hunt your season comes in what like uh the second or third week of august
1: yeah so we traditionally always open deer season for antler deer august the 15th with uh, antlerless deer following exactly one month behind that
0: Okay. And that's going to be your stereotypical like bow season or are you going to have dog dog season season as well? well.
1: Yeah. So, uh, with, with dog season, there's there's really no season to it. Um, you can hunt dogs year round. You can hunt bow year round. Uh, the only thing is, uh, once you get into the North two game zones of South Carolina, so the state is divided into a few different game zones. Um, and once you get from that, that dividing line from DNR's map North, Um, you can only hunt with a bow for the first month. So it's all primitive weapons. So bows, um, spears, anything like that, that's the only thing you can hunt with from August the 15th to September the 15th in specific game zones. Um, And then September the 15th, once that opens, you can hunt with whatever you want with two year round. So yeah, that, that first month is in the game zone I'm in specifically in North. It's just bow hunting. And then after that year, it's pretty much free range. We don't have a limit on anything else.
0: So that's gotta like throw a huge wrench into basically your your whitetail season. So you have roughly a month and a half to really capitalize on natural deer movement, and then after that, it's like you said, uh, gets a little sporty, huh?
1: Yeah. After that, you're uh, you better bring some waders and a change of clothes if you plan on doing any hunting because you're gonna have to get away from everything.
0: Interesting. Okay. So what are some early season tactics? Uh, What are the deer doing? Uh, You kind of mentioned that they don't really necessarily have a pattern, but if you're going to key in on uh, a handful of things, what would that be?
1: So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to find a food source, Um, especially in a big block like the Francis Marion. It's a lot of big woods and big timber. So uh, you you find a food source, and that can be the very few managed plots that we have um, from DNR or that could be something is like a hardwood bottom um, in a transition point between your planted pines to your swampland. And, you know, because things change, you know, some acorns will drop early and the deer wouldn't want to eat that as much. But with these planted fields, and this is another benefit that you'll have on top of other hunters, because most of the people around here that do still hunt, they focus on that food plot. They think they have to sit on that food plot in order to have the opportunity. Once they get to that food plot, they don't push any further into the woods. Um, So in in this area of public land, I'm going to push past that food plot and I'm gonna try and identify a bedding area around the food plot and I'll hunt those transition points. Um, and, and, And the biggest thing that I could say I would focus on is a compounding feature. And I'm sure as you know, deer white tail their edge creatures when you can find those transition lines from pine wood or planted pines to hardwood bottoms or you can find a ditch line an old timber road something like that if i can find that next to a bedding area not far from a food plot or a food source then i'm that's the area i'm gonna key in on
0: gotcha yeah no that makes sense how much so since your terrain is kind of unique, you're relatively flat, but then you have that huge like water component, how much does wind play like a direct factor? And then how much does the water influence your your scent control, if you will, or um, more or less kind of having like those thermodynamics where you might in the morning have standing water that might be a little bit cooler than the air temperature and then is then sucking your scent. Do you, Do you play into any of that stuff at all?
1: Yeah, so um, a lot uh, that I do, and, and you'll see in that, that video of the one buck I harvested this last week, um, I like to sit on top of the water just because I know the scent is going to get sucked for the majority most time, right? Everything changes depending on the morning and the evening, but for the most part of the day here in South Carolina, your scent's going to end up on top of that water at some point. And, rarely will a deer deer go right through the center of the standing water. They'll try and, you know, they'll walk through it, but it'll be near an edge or the closest point where the water might be from land to dry land. You know, they'll walk that area. So I like to sit up right on the edge of water. And when I mean edge, like half of the tree is in the water and half of the tree is on dry land, or I'll actually wade a little bit into the water and climb a tree there. Uh, Just because it's protection for me, one, um because i know where my scent's going when you know you get into these other areas it starts to swirl and and, you know the wind gusts tends to play a little bit more of a factor Uh, but then it's also a benefit to me because you can hear anything walking in the water you can hear anything trotting around um and you you tend to see a little bit more once you get into the water because you have some other plants and trees that'll just die off because they can't take the water year-round Right. Um, so for me a lot, that's what it is. But other than that, you know, if I'm going to climb a tree in, in the pine land and the managed pine, uh, I don't really care too much for scent as long as I'm not grabbing trees on my way in. Uh, I, I don't really play the wind as much as you would think you'd need to.
0: And is that because the, they feel comfortable in that thick like understory in, in the pine plantation?
1: Exactly. Um, You know, deer can see, they'll bed down where they're completely concealed once they get past that eye level, right? So they'll bed down where you can't see them and they feel comfortable in those situations, but they can see through the thicker stuff to what's moving in and especially in those rows of ponds. But once they stick their head up, they can see everywhere. So they feel pretty comfortable with that, you know? And in those areas, the pines don't really have any kind of stems or knots, anything for the first 30 foot of the tree, so you have between ground level and 30 feet to be able to climb up. And once you get out of that skyline and that, that line of sight for deer, then, uh, they tend to be a little less cautious because nothing's really around. They feel comfortable, like
0: you said. So what are you using as far as a uh, climbing device? Are you hunting out of a saddle or are you taking a climber, a hang on, uh, what are you doing to kind of utilize these various different pieces?
1: Yeah, I uh, I haven't hopped on the saddle train yet. Um, <laughs> in a few <laughs> years, when it, when it's not the coolest thing in the world to do, I'll probably give it a try, and it's probably a great uh, economical way of hunting, and uh, it might save your back a little bit, but I'll just wait for the, the fad to cool down a little bit. But, it, you know, I have the traditional XOP um, hang-on stand. Um, I have a four-stick setup, uh, run-and-gun style, that I carry in and out with me everywhere I go.
0: And that gets
1: you plenty high right yes yeah, so um uh, even with three sticks i can get right about 18 feet mm-hmm. um but with the four stick you know i can break that 20 to 22 foot range and i think anything past 20 feet you're basically good with scent
0: right yeah no i would agree with you 100 percent. okay so uh let's talk about your hunt a little bit um do you want to kind of walk us through that how that went and well at, start out Kind of what your game plan was as far as why you picked that location, how you came to that location. Don't drop the location, obviously, but give me your thought process there. Yes. So, um,
1: and what it was, and, and full disclosure, the uh, the area we went to was was private land, but it, it wasn't managed for deer. You know, it's just a, a few blocks of woods that have been set there that uh, a buddy of mine, dad, bought, and they just have the woods. Um, nobody really hunts it except for him. And my buddy actually invited me there because he's deploying. So he's going to miss the most of his deer season. So we wanted to spend a few days, you know, just hanging out, spending some time together with the way things are going. Um And then also, you know, give him his best chance to get on deer, which we, we ended up doubling up, which, which was a great thing. That's awesome. Uh and th- this block of woods um, that we go to—it's it, a smaller block relative to some of the larger public that we have here. But you know, we're, we're still talking about 300 acres of no trails, no four-wheeler trails, no roads. You know, once you you pull down a dirt road and park your truck, it's you know you can walk seven, eight miles in any direction, and you're still in this block of woods with with, with nothing there. So you you kind of have to play the natural features um, the best you can, similar to what you would with with public land. And then, so we went out there, we decided we were gonna set up camp near the road. And uh, it's pretty pretty much par for the course when you're talking about where we were hunting and uh, the public land around here. So you have some of your managed pine and the only unique condition up to this is it was off of a finger creek off of one of our larger lakes. So the elevation change was a little more drastic than you typically would see. So up where the road where you come in at, um, at the start of the property where it's managed pines, drifts down into the the swamp bottom pretty heavily. Uh, And then that's a pretty much a linear line from east to west and on that property. So what I look for is, uh, again, going back to these compounding features, right? So you can see where these deer might bed, but then also you can see like a ditch. There was a ditch that ran off the road and it was a pretty deep ditch all the way to the creek bottom um and it just so happened that at that creek bottom we had a little bit of a knoll or um, a saddle for you guys that hunt there uh, where it kind of fed out to the bottom of the ditch it plateaued off and then it dropped down again from there so my thing was and and, and this is where I, I the first day we hunted there i saw deer um never could get a shot on one and no deer were spooked and i was like okay so i need to come back here and and tomorrow night So I followed the ditch line all the way down to the creek where that knoll was at, and you have three features there, right? So you have the creek bed at my back, you have the ditch line running north to south directly in front of me, and then you also have that saddle or that natural topo where everything's coming downhill and it kind of plateaus off and then it drops back again to where I'm at. So... You have three features there that i was really keying in on looking at the map cyber scout you know when he when he said hey we're gonna go here um you know i pulled it up instantly and start looking at it and then when i get in there that's the features i'm following so i kind of sat up right with the creek to my back like i said earlier with uh, my tree half in and half out of the water because one that's protection for me two i know where that scent's going um and three it just so happened to be that point where all of these features intersect and on that, where that ditch was at, I set up in front of a land bridge, a smaller land bridge, I'd say it was about five yards long across this ditch because it was a larger ditch. And then it was only about a yard wide. I mean, but I could just see that the deer tracks were mowing this thing down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I set up hunting directly across it and it was about six fifty when I first saw, heard the deer coming in and I could see movement behind some of the, uh, the, the mid story, uh, a lot of stems coming out for oak leaves, and, and believe it or not, as early in the season as it was, man, it was everything was raining acorns. I was surprised, and then uh, you know, he had no choice but to, he was either going to jump that ditch, he was going to walk in the creek to get behind me, or he was going to cross that land bridge. And sure enough, he came across that land bridge at about eleven yards. Um, and you know, I got I got to sling an arrow at him, and it was a pretty good shot and a, a quick recovery. Um, and then as I'm about to text my buddy a picture of the, the Luminoc lighting up, he uh, he sends me
0: a text of one. So so you guys literally like shot at the same time almost? At the same time on, on complete different ends of the
1: property. Um, wow. But almost hunting identical features. You know, he didn't have a land bridge, but it happened to be where the creek bend up back behind him. And he had a bedding area out to his northeast, which was in front of him and to the right because he did the same thing, he put his back to the creek and kind of looked uphill. And uh, yeah, same time, it was a a nine point and a seven point.
0: That's awesome. That's super cool, man. So I wanted you, as you're explaining this story, how have you developed this knowledge over over your hunting career? Have you learned some of it from your military experience as far as being able to read uh, terrain features and that's helped you with developing your woodsmanship uh, has it been research online? Kind of walk me through that progress.
1: Yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, a lot of it is just you know, growing up in the woods, you know, hunting with my dad, from when I was nine years old and, you know, though the means and methods changed, he was always there to kind of tell me what to look for. Um, he never got quite as into it as I did with the running gun and mobile hunting, um, and hunting out of state for white tail, but so I have a little bit of that. And then of course, yeah, my military knowledge, being able to be dropped in a specific spot and read a topo map and, you know, use a compass, you know, that helps you from getting turned around, especially in these big woods areas. Um, but you know, a lot of it is just a lot of hard years where, you know, I maybe didn't see any deer. Um, and then some great years where I harvested a whole bunch of deer and just keeping accurate notes of that and kind of going through and, and, and learning to identify what's leading to success or what are some key identifying factors that I might be successful in, and then what are areas that uh, that aren't really producing, you know, um, because one big personal block for me, um, in my experience, you know, this is a, a long time of, of of going in the woods and trying to hunt new places, you know, moving around with the military, I'd end up in somewhere I never thought I would be. And, you know, you try to go out and hunt because that's what you love to do and you, you start to identify and learn a little bit of everything. Um and then one thing I had to get past was how many times have we walked into the woods and you're like wow this is a beautiful area deer must love it here and you climb a tree and you never see anything. Um so that's kind of one area where I had to 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 move away from and get away from and that's actually one of my mental checklist lines is when I walk in the woods if if I look up and I stand beside a tree and I'm like wow this is beautiful then I won't even hunt there <laughs> because I'm not going to see anything. Mm. Um And then, you know, a a lot of other resources with reading online and, you know, there's guys on YouTube, like the guys from the hunting public and, um, you know, Shane Simpson, all those kind of guys, man, that just, they're phenomenal hunters and woodsmen and, and you start to pick up on things where you may lack and watching guys like that.
0: Gotcha. No, for sure. Uh, I, you had mentioned about like coming into a spot that looks great and then pushing past that. I think that's one of the most overlooked things that hunters do now is you come into a section and the sign is incredible, but there, people aren't able to realize that the majority of that sign is nocturnal and that you need to go at least like another 200 yards or potentially however far until you actually get into daylight sign or daylight activity, I should say. And for you... For you, that was just trial and error, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's just um, – and, you know, that goes back to being able – like how we started the podcast on, like you said, uh, being able to delineate when you need to cyber scout and when you need to put your behind in the chair, right? Because, you know, in, in anything we do, any profession, it's all about seat time and, and that experience. And, you know, sometimes that experience won't be as good and those, those hunts won't be fun, especially here in South Carolina. You'll be in a tree where it's 98 degrees – and the sun is just beating on your head and you're sweating um but you know that's that's experience that you got to sit through and and you've got to wait for and really again take a note of it and kind of identify what the features were like and um and and when you're seeing deer when you're not seeing deer uh, when you're harvest and successful and then writing down when you're not and I think the biggest thing, you know, like you said, that experience. Once you once you start to compile that experience, and you know, you train your mind and you train your ears to hear, um, and and your and your eyes to see what you need to exactly be looking for, then you'll find that, you know, passing through those features or that specific area that just looks beautiful is, for the majority, the uh, one of the key steps to do.
0: Do you feel like you've gotten to a point where you, can, you feel very confident that you can walk into the woods and you're, let's just say for sake of a number, uh, you're 90% sure that you can get on animals just based on your woodsmanship, woodsmanship and, and your experiences in the past?
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. And that's a, a big, the same buddy I hunted with this past week. That's a big conversation we had at the beginning of last year. Because, um, you know, I got to 13 and 14 sits in and it, it didn't matter where I was dropping that stand at. I was going to see deer. And, um, you know, that's that's just the experience adding up and all the time I've spent in the woods. And, you know, I had an amazing year last year. Um, and, you know, this year is is starting off just as well. You know, you get to the point where you learn what you need to look for and what you don't need to look for, what you can just completely zone out of your mind or keep out of your mind, then yeah, uh, you get to that point where anywhere you set up, you're doing the right thing, you know what you're doing, you're going to at least see deer. And that's the biggest thing for me. You know, I moved to that point when I first started doing the running gun thing in the big woods and I was getting worried. like, you know, am I going to see deer? Am I not going to see deer? You know, just seeing deer was the success for me. And then, you know, you move to the point, well, You know, I've seen a lot of deer, so I'd like to see the deer and have the chance to shoot. And then you pass certain bucks or you pass certain does because it's not seasoned yet. And it's kind of just evolved and adapted to the point where, yeah, now I walk into the woods and I'm almost 100 percent confident that I'm going to see deer at any given time. And, you know, of course, that changes when you have hurricanes blowing in or um, an out of season cold front or a warm up. But, yeah, for the most part, any time I go in the woods, I at least see deer.
0: So, and this is the whole reason why I kind of brought this up because I think this is something we should definitely touch on. Did you set up your, basically, let's call it hunting career in benchmarks and goals? So, kind of like what you were just starting to touch on there. All right, my my original goal was to get into the woods and see deer. Then the next was to see mature deer or so on and so forth for those examples. Uh, I think a lot of people get caught up in trying to run before they crawl and then they miss out on all those experiences in the beginning get deterred and next thing you know they're just chasing their tail around because they haven't put the foundation in front of them to even be able to get to that skill
1: yeah no and you're 100% right Uh, it's something I think we need to do and you know in today's day and age you know things like cyber, cyber scouting and everything we have online have made us a little bit more lazy than we have been in the past I I believe but I think you know for me even even small goals you know I would say I wanted to get up in the tree in a specific tree and know exactly where my wind was going so when I pulled the milkweed out you know and I started dropping milkweed and it's blowing exactly where I thought it would go then that's a that's a win for me you know that's a Another point where, okay, well, I've played this correctly, I've sat correctly, and you start setting the small goals, and then you move into, okay, well, I'd like to see a deer come out of the bed, so I go sit up 50, 75 yards from bed, as quiet as possible, and then, you know, you start seeing deer come out of the bed, and that's another box that's checked for me, so it's just setting those small goals and developing them over time and, you know, expanding on those goals, and then as you hit it, and the same thing with any kind of progression you'll have in life, whether that be career or in the gym or whatever you might have. You start hitting those small goals that develop into larger ones, and the next thing you know, you're, you've are you got eight and 160-inch deer on the wall or something.
0: <laughs> right. Now, if you don't take anything away from this podcast, John literally hit the nail on the head of what basically I've been trying to do with this entire podcast is uh, setting yourself up for one success and not trying to eat too much of the elephant all at once, biting it off in pieces. And then the next thing you know, your growth is going to be so far beyond uh, what you originally have anticipated to the point where you're just like John and you feel 100%, you feel 100% positive or uh, you capable in your abilities to be able to go out and, yep, I can 100% do that. I have no issues with that. And then how much of a role does that confidence play in your hunting too where you're not second-guessing yourself, and, which ultimately I think ends up really screwing you up like that's how mistakes happen when you start second guessing yourself
1: absolutely and that's you know one of the big things you know I kind of talked about that little mental checklist I have when I walk in the woods that's one of the things that I have on there as well it always gets me where I go to start climbing a tree and I'm like I'll see a branch that's hanging a little bit lower than you know I thought it would be or or once I get up the tree it's it's just a little bit in the way and I'm like oh man I need to get down and pick another tree or I need to get down and and chop this off he's just just don't do it. Leave it as natural as possible. Allow it to flow, uh, especially after you get that experience in. You know, a lot of times, once you start checking those boxes and, and you've had your time in the seat, then you'll realize that, you know, that's the, the idea fairy, that little second guess that's coming mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. and chirping in your ear. It, you don't need to listen to it. You've got the right You got the right thing going.
0: For sure. no, I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, you mentioned about keeping basically like a deer log or uh, – A notebook of your experiences in the woods and I recently just had a discussion with another server side member about that and kind of I do the exact same thing I keep a deer log uh, if you will where I'm paying attention to the wind I'm paying attention to the 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 heat when when the when the temperatures change as far as like here we have a lot of terrain so the thermals are changing at eight o'clock so I can then go back next year, the following year, and during that time frame, let's say it's an early October hunt, I know that the thermals are going to change roughly at time X and I may need to get down or I may need to move locations, whatever, be mobile. Uh, what are you doing as far as your deer book goes?
1: Yes, yeah, so it's, um, I'm pretty religious with it. and It's not necessarily just deer. I do this with all game, you know, it's deer, ducks, especially turkey. Uh, it, it, it's everything. I write down literally everything you can think of. If, 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 I get in the tree and I'm a little bit more tired than, than I was, or I, I thought I should be, then uh, I'm going to write that down as well. Um, so it, it's more like a, a, diary. If anybody wants to make fun of me for it, then it is a deer log, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, the weather it is the number one thing. Um, especially here, like uh, another big thing in South Carolina now is that we're starting to see these, these doe are pushing the fawn off a lot early, a lot earlier than we expected. You know, traditionally in the past, I've noticed that when you start seeing these fawn by themselves this early in the season, that means it's going to be a cold winter. Um, so I'll write down everything, the weather, how long the weather has been in a specific time range. Um, what, what the cloud cover is like, where the wind is blowing out of how hard it's blowing out of there. Um, what kind of sign I'm setting up on in this specific area, what I expected to see, and then I'll, you know, whatever the results were, what I did see or, or what I did harvest, then I'll also write that down. When, where, how, where did it come from, at what time uh, did I see it? it you know, it's, a, it's a whole list of these features. And then that's very key to being able to look back and, and start to build that checklist in your mind of what you need to look for and, and, and what's happening all at the same time.
0: So when, when and why did you start this?
1: I started this, uh, I'd say back in about 2007 and it wasn't necessarily the whitetail that made me start doing this. I started doing this specifically for waterfowl, um, because here in South Carolina, you know, any, anywhere on the Atlantic flyway, you guys might have it a little bit better up on the North side there, but, um, the waterfowl numbers just aren't what they used to be. So I started to have to get very creative with how I scouted, when I scouted, if I wanted to have successful hunts out on the water. Um, so I was noticing, you know, some days, uh, you know, on the salt water I was absolutely slaying them. So I was like, OK. And then I go back there another weekend and, you know, maybe one of those features changed. Maybe the cloud cover was just a little bit less than it was that weekend. And then I would notice that, OK, I'm not killing anything. Um, so I started really taking notes of what this was for the waterfowl, um, and, and being able to do the same thing, identify those features of what's going to make a good hunt or, or, or those, uh, those circumstances. And then I kind of noticed, well, you know, this, this has to be something or the same for all game species. So I started doing it for deer. And then the next thing I started doing it for Turkey and I just, you know, kind of developed into this master hunting book. And, and to be honest with you, I even do it with bass on the lake. Nice. Um, it, it, it's this ultimate hunting book of, of when, I need to do what, um, you know, and I, if this was six years ago, if I didn't have this book, then I'd probably freak out and and wouldn't hunt anymore. Or I didn't have these logs and notes. I'd probably be scared to go in the woods, but now it's to the point where you, you've read it so many times, you've gone back and you've looked, um, it's kind of ingrained in me now.
0: So I, I also do it for, for trout, for fly fishing, and I think all I shouldn't say all, but for for the most part, almost all wild animals are habitual in some way. And it's just a matter of figuring out what that habit is, whether it's feeding times, whether it's bedding times, whether it's, I don't know, you name it. But um, one of the things I think people have a hard time with in developing these logs or diaries or whatever you want to call them in the beginning is, one, They can't understand why they're taking the information down and they feel like they're just writing a whole bunch of shit down and they 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 can't make the connection. Right. So did you struggle with that in the beginning or uh, were were you kind of picking up because it sounds like you're very intelligent. You were able to make those connections uh, right away.
1: Yeah, no, I, I wish I was, uh, and I appreciate the compliment, but, uh, I wish I was intelligent enough to be able to pick up on it right away. I made a, (laughs) I would have, might've found the success a little bit sooner, but no, it's, it's definitely something I struggled with, right? Because it's a chore. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's that extra step, right? And you've already spent eight hours scouting in the swamp and, you know, you've got blisters on your feet and you're sweaty and you, you need to go a whole new change of underwear to even feel somewhat decent. Um, but then you get to the point where like, all right, I don't want to pull this, this notebook out again, or I don't want to type these notes on my phone. You know, I just want to get in the truck, sit in the AC for a little bit or, or, or go take a shower. Um, so you have that, that block to go through. And then you also get back to the point where you start reading all this. And, and sometimes it's not as structured as, as it should have been, or you don't have the right structure yet. And you're just reading all these notes and you're like, well, wh- what is this? What, what am I looking at? What is this going to do for me? Exactly. Um, and, and then the thing is, and I think the most important thing to keep in mind is is if you stay persistent with it and you stay consistent with it, you're going to get to the point where you read back to your notes and you start to identify, well, okay, the weather is the same as it was here. The wind is blowing the same direction here. And I saw deer here and they came out of the bed in this location. So maybe now if I go set up on a bed with the wind blowing in the same direction on the same line, maybe I'll see the deer and those notes that you took and, and, and the references you made You'll go in there and you'll see the deer. You'll you'll have your shot opportunity and it'll click, and it it all makes sense why you're doing it. And then you'll start to develop that that trust you need to uh, move forward with your own notes and and, and kind of become that sponge, uh, and and really start to build those skills.
0: So one of the other big things I harp on is not relying too much on outside information. As far as all right, so I heard Torn talk about this and. He seems to be very successful, gets on deer, blah blah. Uh, I'm gonna implement that tactic to the T to my hunting situation and my skill set. I would I would strongly advocate against that and just pulling out pieces. So how this kind of ties into the the deer log, the note thing is okay, take take as much information down as you can and in the beginning it might not make sense, but as you go on and on and you develop in your hunting career, your journey as a hunter, your personality is going to take a role into that. And once that happens, you're going to completely be able to understand, okay, this is this is what this means and this is why I wrote this. If If anything, don't try to force it where you're taking too much of somebody else's style you need to create your own style and that's what's really really going to make you successful you look at like all the top killers out there in hunting and they all have their own unique style it's not one that is hunts like so and so and and another hunts like so and so they're all different because you really got to play into what your best skill sets are as a woodsman and as a hunter and it sounds like that's kind of what you did with all this information you've been taking down. Correct?
1: Yeah. I, uh, you know, you start off listening, especially, you know, back in the day, um, you know, you used to watch things like night and hail and, and those guys are hunting in high fenced areas. Right. And they're talking about acorns. And you're like, okay, well I need to set up on acorns all the time. Cause that's what they do. And you'll never see the quality deer they see because you know, somebody let that deer out of a cage 30 minutes earlier. Um, you can't really take in everything else that you're hearing online and kind of try to push this it's into one bowl, right? So you're taking your steak, your eggs um, and potatoes, and you're trying to put it all in the same bowl. It, it, eventually it's either one not going to taste well, or it's, it's two going to overflow and, and you're going to make a mess. And it, it's the same thing here, right? So like you said, you take your bits and pieces of information, but the most important thing um, about this is you need to go in the woods. You need to spend the time in the woods. You need to uh, climb the tree, even if it's just for observation, you need to go in there and actually look for sign, find the sign, take the notes. It's and and you'll start to develop who you are as a woodsman, as an outdoorsman, and as a hunter once you start spending that time in the woods. And you start taking down your information and being able to cross-reference that with somebody else's. So nobody needs to go take a couple pages out of my book and um and, and, and go in the woods with that. I'm going to take a couple pages go in the woods, write your own few pages, come back, cross-reference and see what's matching, see what's, what's making sense. and, And then build yourself from there.
0: Couldn't have said it any better. Yep. Right on. Uh, all right. So let's transition here kind of away from this. I think that was awesome. Awesome information that we kind of just went over there. But one of the things that I want to know about is how the hell you deal with the heat down there. And then how that plays a role in in animal movement that whole deal
1: Oh man, dude, I don't deal with the heat down here. I hate it. I I cry every day. I think mm-hmm. uh, one of the first things I say as soon as I walk back in the house, you know, I look at my old lady and I'm like I hate it here. Just because the heat does it to me. Um you know, I've you know, I've spent time in Iraq, Afghanistan, but the heat in South Carolina is unreal. Uh can't stand it. Um but You know it's just it's one of those things and you find those things in life and and in the woods that you just kind of have to push through so when it's hot and and you want to be successful especially like if if you're a bow hunter and you want to get in the woods before they start running dogs or or before that crazy pressure gets in there and you want to have the most success then you're going to have to deal with that heat from august the 15th to september the 15th um so and and you're going to be in the trees sweating and it's going to suck but again, that's just embracing the suck and, and being able to push through it and to make you a, a better outdoorsman all the for it. Um, and, and how that factors into the deer movement is, obviously they're not gonna move in the middle of the day when it's, you know, between 12 and, and, and two to two thirty. 30. Um, the deer really just aren't gonna move. They're gonna go lay down, preferably in a swamp, close to water and some thick cover, uh, and, and they're not gonna move. They're gonna buckle down there until it's time that temperature drop usually you see a big temperature drop here between 6 and 8 p.m in the early season so you'll have a swing i'll say from 4 to 10 degrees depending on your cloud cover um and and that's when you're going to see deer and it's that's that will stand true on any hunt in south carolina early season for anything um between 6 and 8 p.m you're going to see the most deer movement you know of course there's always exceptions uh you know you might walk into a swamp something that's big shaded and heavy covered um, with a creek running through it. So there's always a little natural breeze that follows that Creek with a little bit of running water. And it might be a little cooler there and you might see deer a little bit earlier, but for the most part, the deer aren't going to move until there's a big temperature swing. So your, your early evenings or later evenings from six to eight. And then in the morning, you know, sunrise, right when that temperature is at its lowest, that's, that's your key time.
0: And then once Uh, once the other seasons start off, right. Uh, what's the plan then as far as like, how does temperature play a role? How does the pressure play a role? I know you said about getting in tighter and finding those, those, uh, denser spots, better bedding locations, but do as far as like food sources, I would assume food sources would change then too. So you gotta be looking for food sources like really tight to cover. And then anything as far as like the, the food plots and that kind of stuff goes, that's going to be almost strictly nocturnal.
1: Correct. So, and, and that's why a lot of guys here that still hunt don't find great success because they, they trust this food plot so much. They think, well, deer are just going to show up here. But yeah, so after the early season, so I'd say, you know, immediately after they start running dogs and, and it's dope, you can start shooting does and they're hunting heavier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll get. So far into the woods, you won't. Be, I'm, you know, you're talking three, four, five, six miles into the woods, away from anywhere, anywhere else is going to be, and it's almost predominantly acorns at that point. But then, you know, you have other types of a uh, thick cover here. So we have kudzu is a huge problem here in South Carolina, and it grows everywhere in spite of everything. and There's no way to get rid of it, but it provides great cover for deer, and it's also they they love to eat it. They'll just lay right there in a thick head of kudzu and, and they'll they'll eat and lay all, all at the same time and just stay in that spot and you you really won't ever get them to leave so i'll start to look for acorns and, and drier spots you know way away from everything um and you know you start looking for your certain vines and your other shrubbery where deer will just uh, where they don't have to leave if that makes any sense so the only time they will leave is if they're trying to run from a buck that's chasing or you know, you've got another buck running a, a, a smaller buck off. Um, so it, it's really, again, going into the woods and trying to best identify what those areas are and where the food sources are that are away from everything. And, and then that's just the only, the only example I can give of you know, finding success later part in the season is just getting away from everything.
0: What about, what about when the rut starts to kick off? When is that down there? And then do you potentially focus on dough bedding areas or is it still strictly safety, safety, safety?
1: Yeah. So, um, when, uh, when the rut sticks, kicks off here, I, you know, everybody says the October lull, but I'd say the last 10 or so days of October to the first couple weeks of November that's really the key time. I'd say, you know, anywhere, depending on the year, um, the weather, you know, if it's colder or not, then that you're going to see the rut there. Uh, you're going to see deer starting to chase, you know, as early as last year, I think, you know, I put a video up, you know, we had bucks chasing does as early as October the 10th or the 11th. Uh, I wow. believe it was. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, and, and, and that could be, you know, the coolest thing about that was, you know, I'm hunting across the river from a buddy and we're seeing these bucks chasing on the other side of the river, the bucks are still bachelored up. It's and, and there's really no rhyme or reason to it. Um, and, you know, as the crow flies, you're only three or four miles apart, but you're across the river. And for some reason, it's just, things aren't, aren't meshing or, or they're not matching up. Um, but I'd say for the most part, definitely see the last 10 or so days in October up to the first couple weeks of November, And at that point uh you can hunt bedding areas but the same thing it will hold true right the the doe pattern will never really change here they'll respond to the pressure of uh on the especially on the public land these big blocks of woods where they're turning the dogs loose um so they might move a little more nocturnal but their pattern from bed to food or food from bed to food to bed it's never really gonna change. So you go back to those trails where you're seeing multiple tracks in both directions and, and that's where I'll set up because where the does are trafficking, the bucks are gonna follow. Um, and, and, and again, late season, you do that as far back away from an access point or a road as you can. You get in there, you find that right sign, tracks moving back and forth, you look around, you see, you know, if there's bedding nearby you're probably safe. It, you know, just climb a tree. If you can find tracks and a bed and source in the middle of the woods away from everything during the rut here, you're going to see a bug.
0: Now, what about late, late season? Um, do you guys potentially get any type of frost down there? So we will get frost really late season. Uh, typically, it's after deer season, though. So uh, oh, okay. deer
1: season, d- yeah, deer season here is over January 1. So, uh, you know, you have the whole month of January, you don't get to hunt. And that's typically when your frost starts to roll in. So all your good hunting is, is happening before Christmas.
0: True, man, that's tough. That, that's wild to think like, uh, yeah, we don't get frost until uh, January. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: a it's a good thing, though, because duck season only starts around November the 17th here. And I try to t- tag out before then every year. So
0: it's, it's a good thing for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. If you're a waterfowler, for sure, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, All right, John, we're working on an hour here. Is there anything that you want to kind of touch on here before we hop off? Uh, Last minute thoughts, any advice for somebody that's potentially going to be coming out to South Carolina in the next few weeks?
1: Yeah, so um, if anybody has any questions specifically about South Carolina, you know, we have a great community over on the service side, uh, the website and the app. And you can hop on there. Just shoot me a message. Um, it's at J Wingman. You know, I'll try to help anybody out. I'll punch in the right direction. I'm not scared to drop some pins and send them your way. I have more pins than I know what to do with and that I've, uh, I've had success with. So if anybody needs any help there, don't be scared to, to shout out and, and reach out to me and, and see what we can do, you know, even if it's a meetup or, you know, you need some kind of helps or tips or anything. You know, I'm never, never one to push anyone away. It's about, you know, unfortunately... The, the sport of hunting and, and being woodsman um, you know it's it's dying uh, we're a dying breed and you know the only way we can change that is by opening the door to other people
0: yeah no i 100% agree uh, And i'll have links for your your social contact and that kind of stuff so anybody wants to get in contact with john they'll be able to reach out to him uh there's something else i wanted to ask you but i forget now oh uh so the video uh you'll be able to see john's hunt john do you have potential estimation when that might be edited
1: yes so i was uh actually working on some editing yesterday uh i'm trying to keep you know because everything happened a little so fast i'm trying to hit that 13 minute mark um Mm -hmm. it really gets you guys the right content um so i'm actually meshing in another hunt i did last night as well uh, where i saw i don't know 12 or 15 deer Um, so I'll probably have the editing done, I'd say no later than, you know, 6 PM tomorrow. So the video will post probably 6 to 7 PM Wednesday. Um, and then, you know, I'll send it over to you guys as well for you to do whatever you need to do with it. Um, and then I'll post it on my channel as well. And I think I have two other hunts that I'm going to be, they're already edited. I just need to publish them um but those are hunts you know i just see deer don't harvest anything so i didn't want to send them over
0: to the service side crew. so where can the audience and the listeners see uh your content what's your youtube channel what's your your social drop that kind of stuff in
1: yeah so for youtube if you just search uh wingman farms um i have all of my stuff on there Uh, i have some hunts from last year a couple buck kills you know i have my fiance's first deer kill on there. That's one of my favorite videos. Um, I've got some other doe kills. I've got a couple duck hunts on there as well. And then I also train uh, gun dogs, so I have a bunch of gun dog training videos on there. And that will be at uh, Wingman Farms on YouTube. My personal Instagram is JD period L I E B, so JD Lieb. Uh, my initials there. I have a so much stuff on Instagram. I have a lot of clips and stuff from hunts in there, just a random deer and. um you know, pictures of, and videos of ducks coming in, some cool stuff there. And then for the, uh, the same YouTube page, uh, at wingman farms on Instagram for the retriever training stuff. And I kind of mix it up and I try to post a little bit of everything everywhere just because I don't want to hog all of everything on one site. Um, but yeah, you can, you can see it all there. I tried to post a, a few videos in the service side app yesterday, but for some reason they won't, uh, publish um yeah i I just i tried to post the uh, the kill shots from the bucks and stuff you know just 10 second clips but you know i did shoot everything in 4k so it might be that
0: yeah um i've i've been uh you're like the second or third person that told me about that so that's definitely something i'll be looking into um trying to get that bug reported and that taken care of because that shouldn't that shouldn't be an issue
1: yeah. Yeah. I tried to post a, uh, yeah, I had a, just a couple kill shots of the, cause I actually harvested the two bucks this week. Um, and then my buddy is editing his own video. So whenever he, I'm trying to get him over to the server side app now, but he's just not very tech savvy. So gotcha. <laughs> whenever he gets yeah. over there, we'll post that as well.
0: Awesome. All right, John. Uh, I appreciate you hopping on and doing this for us. Uh, thank you for your service. You enjoy the, uh, the rest of your holiday weekend and, uh, good luck the rest of the season.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks to you too, man. And you do the same.